Thanks for choosing a 3CR podcast. Throughout June 2021, we're running our annual Radiothon when we ask you, the listener, to make a donation so that we can continue to make great radio. Your donation will help keep us community-owned and community-controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. And with that done, please enjoy your podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOCS program. The Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools are here every week to fill you up with all of the best news that we can find about what is happening with public education. We are supporters and defenders of public education, and we're quite happy to take on the private sector. But uh, because we believe that not one jot of public money should go to the private sector. We think public should be public and private should be private. Very old-fashioned we are, conservative if you like, but uh, we have a a website at www.adogs.info and we have a press release here every week. We're up to 917 and uh, we are going to spend quite a lot of time this week going up to New South Wales where the public school teachers have gone on strike. They have been essential services people all through the COVID, all through the plague, and they have had enough. So without much more ado, we're going to go to Oliver, who's going to read us press release 917. Over to you, Oliver. Thank you, Jane. This is press release 917. When thanks is not enough, public schools and teachers taken for granted. Our public education systems and teachers have, during the current plague, been considered essential services and essential workers. They have not let our children down, now or ever. They have educated our children for many generations, been an essential cohesive bond in our democratic society, and produced well-educated and responsible citizens. In the current crisis, our public school teachers have risen to the occasion magnificently. Parents and grandparents have heaped praise upon their efforts to continue the education of our public school children during during lockdown. Yet our public schools and TAFE colleges are underfunded, our teachers underpaid, and our public school children still treated as worth less than students in the private sector. The private sector has continued to rot the system openly. In recent months, through JobKeeper funding, while public systems go begging. Public school teachers in New South Wales have had enough. On Tuesday, the 7th of December, they went on strike. They did this despite an Industrial Relations Commission order that they abandoned the action. The NSW Teachers Federation, with their president, Angelo Gavrilatos, have once again led the fight for better conditions and pay for public school teachers. John Buchanan, an academic, however, points out that the issues that have led to the current strike have implications, not only for teachers, but for all workers. He lists three basic facts about the current situation. Fact number one concerns economics. Wages are too low. A recent report I I co-authored, and this is uh, John Buchanan's words, a recent report I co-authored examining teachers' pay found they should receive a 15% increase to simply ensure their pay relative to other comparable professions is restored to what it was three decades ago. Low wage growth has not only been a problem for teachers. For several years, the Reserve Bank, along with the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank have been calling for wages to rise. These bodies have urged employers to share increased prosperity in the form of higher pay. Striking teachers rally in Sydney in 1988. 
Today's teachers would need a 15% pay rise to restore them to their wage status three decades ago alongside comparable professions. Wages share of GDP is at historic lows. This not only increases inequality, it retards economic growth, which in turn limits employment growth. A wage increase will benefit not only teachers, it will be good for an economy with stubbornly high levels of unemployment and underemployment. The importance of appropriate wage rises for employment growth was one of the key insights of the work of US-based David Card, a winner of this year's Nobel Prize for Economics. Fact number two concerns working time. Valuing the teaching profession, the report by former Western Australian Premier Jeff Gallup and others, comprehensively canvassed the long working hours and work overload affecting teachers. Contrary to popular understanding, teachers do not work from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. His inquiry found many work 55 to 60 hours a week. And again, this is not unique to teachers. One of the significant changes in work, which researchers such as myself have documented over many years, concerns the duration, insecurity, and intensity of work. Part-time work has increased greatly and often involuntarily and on a casual basis. Full-timers in Australia now work among the longest hours anywhere in the developed world. And work intensification, meaning there is not enough labor for the task set, has increased for all. Fact number three concerns civil liberties, the right to strike. International conventions of the United Nations International Labor Organization have long defined this as a human right. This right is recognized in federal and other state labor laws, but not New South Wales. If we're in Victoria or Queensland, there will be no legal controversy or intimidation of teachers preparing to strike. It is the law in New South Wales, not the teachers, that is the problem. It is time this anomaly was rectified. Because the dispute raises concerns that go far beyond the teaching profession, unless they are resolved, it can be assumed other workers will follow and there will be strikes in other industries. Dogs agree with John Buchanan about the broader industrial and social issues thrown into relief by striking public school teachers of New South Wales. However, an even more basic point should be made that if our public systems are permitted to suffer, along with their dwindling band of dedicated teachers, then the Australian society is in danger of growing inequities, social as well as economic breakdown, unrest, violence, and authoritarian rulers. Again, the odds imposed by privatization in the last half century, our public system and our teachers have served our democracy well. We should give priority at this point to our history to looking after them. And now, Thank you, Robert. And uh, we'll have a, a bit of a break now. And we'll come back and um, we'll refer you to, to the article by Jordan Baker uh, because this latest battle for teachers' pay this latest battle, and uh, Victoria teachers are not that different to New South Wales. It has, it, it has its roots in a decades-long conflict. Um, I, I could tell you about the very first teacher strike back in 1968. Teachers have always been rather docile workers. Uh, they talked a lot about professionalism and they were often blackmailed into uh, being docile. But in 1968, things changed. And I was in New South Wales teaching at the time, and we went on strike. But it wasn't for pay, it was for the conditions that our children were learning under. But we'll have a bit of a break now and come back and look at the current situation and the history behind it. This is Hugo Race, and you're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM. Subscribe now. Well, we're listening to the Dogs Program, and we're going to refer you to an article by Jordan Baker in the um, Sydney Morning Herald. The latest battle for teachers' pay has roots in the decades-old conflict. Over to the people on our panel that are going to read this to you. We're going to hear from Maddie. We're going to hear from um, Oliver. And we're going to read from Jeff. 
Okay. Thank you so much, Jean. Yes, um, the New South Wales Teachers Federation President Angelo Gavrilatos has been involved in teachers' strikes since Premier Dominic Perotet was in primary school. As a beginner Indonesian teacher, Gavriel Lados was among the 80,000 people who crowded into the domain in the late 1980s during long, bitter disputes over the Griner government's education reforms. He was a union organiser during salary disputes in the 1990s, listening to then Vice President English teacher Dennis Fitzgerald, who is still a player within the Federation, pass the education minister's grammar through a megaphone. They took to the streets again in the early 2000s, arguing higher salaries would address a looming teacher shortage, particularly in maths, science and the regions. One dressed as an ape holding a sign saying, if you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. In education, things tend to go around in circles. 20 years later, the same union leaders are fighting the same fight for better pay amid more teacher shortages in the same subjects and regions. Teachers will strike on Tuesday for the first time in almost 10 years, with Gavriel Latos gambling that a new generation of educators will have an appetite for old-fashioned industrial action. And the move won't alienate parents whose children have already spent months away from the classroom this year because of coronavirus but they'll come up against a state government with a lot on the line. Teachers want the government to breach its own 2.5% public sector wage cap. Not only is Peretet in the process of stamping his authority as Premier, but any backward step on that cap will open the door for other public se sector workers, such as nurses, police and transport workers, and to push for more pay too. And in fact, the transport workers also went out on Tuesday. Mm, mm. The Federation is using tested tactics. In the early 2000, 2000s, it commissioned respected social reformer Tony Vinson to hold an inquiry into the provision of public education. This time, it enlisted former West Australian Premier Jeff Gallup who 18 months ago was commissioned to lead an examination of how teachers' work has changed over the past 16-odd years and whether that means they should be paid more. His conclusion was yes, their work had changed significantly, and yes, they should be paid between 10 and 15% more. It's a long-term strategy. Lay out the case for higher wages and better conditions, get teachers fired up, then go hard in wage negotiations. Back in 2004, the teachers ended up getting a significant pay rise to a mechanism that no longer exists. The full bench of the Industrial Relations Commission looked at the changes to their work over the previous 12 years and awarded them a 12% rise. But in 2011, the coalition government scrapped that IRC process and introduced the wage gap, which can only be exceeded if the industry can prove productivity increases. This time, there's only two possible outcomes. Either the government backs down on its, on its wages policy or the union abandons its demands. Governments, both Labor and Coalition, have never liked the Teachers' Federation, a left-wing, politically unaligned union. Parents haven't always been big fans either, but the history of teachers' industrial action in New South Wales has shown persistence can push parents to the point where pressure mounts on the government to end disruption. Expect strikes to continue next year. Well, over to Oliver. How do teachers compare? Under the NSW award, graduate teachers are paid relatively well. In their first year, they can earn $72,263, compared with a graduate lawyer in a mid-tier firm who earns about $65,000. But unlike the lawyer, their salary doesn't grow much. Unless they apply to be a highly accomplished lead teacher, a complex, expensive process that few attempt, their salary tops out at just under $108,000. To earn more, they must leave the classroom and become a principal. After five or six years, teachers watch their friends in other professions begin to out-earn them, and the holidays begin to feel like poor compensation. 
NSW teacher salaries are more similar to interstate ones. In Victoria, classroom pay ranges from 72,000 to 108,000. In South Australia, from 73,000 to 105,000. And in the Northern Territory, from 77 to 110,000. However, many living costs, such as housing, are higher in Sydney. Jobs along the coast are in high demand, and many teachers, due to spouses and families that don't want to or can't, move to the regions. There's also no doubt teachers' work has intensified in the past 16 years. The idea they clock out at nine and then clock on at nine and then clock off at three is a fallacy. It's very hard to get through your day the way you used to without working hard, says one insider with knowledge of the workforce. Those who are coming in who are bright and hardworking resent that stereotype bitterly. During school hours, teachers spend most of their time with students but there's much more to do. Alice Dung, a high school science teacher and head of the Inner West Teachers Association, works nine hours a day at school and then does another two or three at night and six to eight over the weekend. It's absolutely relentless, she says. When classes are done, she prepares for the next day. She marks papers. She reviews students' work to check where they're up to and plan for what ne what's next for them. She modifies the lessons for students on education plans she collaborates with colleagues. She checks in with her HSC students. She does the mandated departmental training. She answers emails from parents. People don't know the time or effort it takes behind the scenes to be a good teacher in the classroom, she says. Added to that, the new syllabuses, mandatory training, time-consuming registration requirements, new departmental policies on behavior, data collection, gifted students and the one in five students who need a classroom adjustment for their disability. Ben Jensen, who runs education consultancy Learning First, says policy reform at state and federal level doesn't help either. Very little policy development actually starts with what is the job of a teacher? What are the actions and decisions they have to make? And therefore, how do we make that better? He says, policy just goes, to just goes on top. Even in the well-resourced independent sector, the pressure on teachers is huge, says the principal of one high fee school. We pay quite a bit above the award and have a lower workload than other people. And still our teachers work amazingly hard. The idea you might work just a 40, 50 hour week is ridiculous. The idea you have school holidays off is also ridiculous. Parents sometimes grumble about the quality of their children's teachers, but many in the sector argue that the workloads are so high and the goalposts move so often that teachers aren't being given the time or support to do it well. They also say teachers are being let down by their degrees, which take four or five years, but heavy on theory and light on practical skills, such as managing student behavior. They don't emerge equipped to be teaching without considerable extra help, says one insider. The number of people signing up for a teaching degree fell by 30% the five years to 2019. Their caliber dropped too. The proportion of students accepted into education courses with ATARs lower than 50 has grown fivefold over the past decade, which may explain why one in two are failing to finish their degrees. The quality of a teacher has been repeatedly shown to be the most influential factor in a child's learning outside their family. What we know about education and how we might make it better has improved substantially says Tom Alagonarius, the former chair of the New South Wales Education Standards Authority. You need time to do the analysis. You need the intelligence and training to understand the data. You need a critical mass of quality people. The union blames, blames declining popularity and teacher shortages on poor pay. The NSW Department of Education disagrees, saying there are more complex forces at work. It says teachers are motivated less by pay than by making a difference and will highlight the moments that matter in the coming campaign. It's part of a wider attempt to attract recruits by making postgraduate degrees shorter and poaching teachers from interstate and overseas. However, Western Australia has announced a plan to poach them from New South Wales. The department is also trying to cut back administration to save teachers about an hour a week and has offered the workforce the maximum 2.5% a year pay rise. And now Jeff is going to tell us, it, well, he's going to ask the question, is more pay really the answer? Thanks, Ollie. Yeah, 
The $108,000 question is whether a pay rise of 5% a year with an added 2.5% to recognise extra experience would, as the union claims, increase the status of teaching and the calibre of people entering the profession and therefore reduce the shortages. The Herald, this article's from the Sydney Morning Herald, spoke to many people who've spent decades in the sector, both in the classroom and at executive levels, including critics of the Federation. Most agree that pay is not high enough, but argue that the answer is not to give all teachers more, rather it is to reward expertise. In teaching, the quotes comes, you get a pay rise for serving time, says one. You haven't had more to I haven't had to do more than that ever. If they wanted to review pay, it would need to be in a way other than professions do, where there's an expectation you'll continue to improve over the course of your career and you need to demonstrate that. There's a deep reluctance amongst teachers to be judged in ways that other professions are. They don't want any observation made about the effectiveness of their practice. This leaves them in this situation where they have no real grounds to get better pay because they can't demonstrate that they're getting better. I can see how they're worried about this clause for uh, for uh, showing higher productivity um, that the uh, Conservatives wish to impose upon them. Jordana that's, Hunter... That's an extraordinary... That's, think about it. Yes. Yeah. An, an extraordinary concept when you're dealing with the education of children. How, how do you measure productivity? How, how um, would you measure it? It's a qualitative... It's it's a you're introducing a quantitative method to look over a qualitative process. Right. Uh, so Jordana Hunter from the Grattan Institute agrees the big problem is that salaries don't grow enough. Lifting salaries for expert teachers should be a priority, she says. It will also make the profession much more attractive to young achievers. The key is expertise, not experience. Improvement rather than time served. Workload is also an issue, Hunter says, which could be tackled with a significant rethink of priorities. Teach time devoted to new initiatives, staff meetings, student reporting and extracurricular activities can really add up, she says. Governments and, and schools need to get much more disciplined about asking whether each one is actually worth it. Some say a significant pay rise should be tied to teacher quality reforms. It's still very difficult to sack ineffective teachers within the public system. In a workforce of nearly 100,000 people, most work extremely hard, but some don't and a universal pay rise is unlikely to spur on the latter group. But another disagreed. Will money get you more? Not necessarily, but you won't get more without the money. Ben Jensen is no union lackey. He's on the board of Teach for Australia, a fast-track recruitment program that's not run in New South Wales, partly because the Federation loathes it. But he says you can't look at the Federation's arguments and say that they're not true. It's impossible to think that they aren't falling further behind other professions. The biggest thing I wonder is, fast forward 15 years, and we're still trapped in this cycle of, is it 2 or 4% increase? I don't see how we, can, we don't have massive problems attracting people. People say, I love this job, I'm willing to be paid less, but everyone has their breaking point. Yes, um, well, sometimes the breaking point is that... Uh, Teachers can't afford to buy a house and put a roof over them, over the heads of their children. There were lots of comments here, and um, Dale will come back with some of the 64 comments uh, to Jordan Baker's article. Very interesting article indeed. And here are some comments. Conto says, Schools have morphed into convenient and essential childcare options. Education isn't the only consideration for many parents. It's the opportunity to shift the burden of looking after children, freeing up their day for, for less mundane, more interesting tasks, yoga classes, coffee with the girls, lunches, etc. Additionally, disrupt schools and you directly disrupt business and the economy. Teachers wield a significant stick and should not be shy about belting this current coalition. As for getting the former offside, they were never in your court to start with. Otherwise, this issue would not currently be playing out again and again and again. Then Asper weighs in and says, Casualisation of the teaching profession has meant the destruction of career paths and severe problems in staffing our schools. Teaching is a collaborative profession, a sharing of skills from a wide range of experience and backgrounds. It mirrors our society. 
It is not an automated assembly line run by robots. Higher pay for, quote, better teachers is an oxymoron and an excuse to keep salaries low and working conditions appalling. Australia should learn from countries like Finland, where the teaching profession is valued as the linchpin of a fair and democratic society, and its teachers are respected and rewarded for their vital work. Australia has become a nation of bean counters, where education depends on privilege rather than the birthright of all its children, regardless of where they live. Teachers are striking not only for fair pay, but for our children's future. Moonwalker says, the general public has little idea of how hard and how much teachers work. They would be shocked if they knew. And Smelly says, it's ironic that the conservative governments continue to argue that low or sorry negative wage growth is a positive for our society. After inflation, teachers' salaries are going backwards at 0.5% per annum. Really, is this what you've worked four plus years for when you can do a trade and raise prices when costs go up? The sad thing is that most economists recognise low-wage low growth is hurting our economy. Who is doing that? Our own government. And Anna Nim says... If you teach in the public system for a few years, your hex debt should be cancelled. That would be a good substitute for a pay rise, at least in the short term. It would also attract more teachers to the public system. But why stop with public school teachers? Why not public hospital nurses too? And why not government-employed social workers? In fact, why not cancel hex debts for anyone who works in a public service role for a specified period of time. Brett 59 says, after 20 years in another industry, I came back to teaching 16 years ago. It was a shock. Schools were neglected and falling apart. Fit outs were ancient and outdated and there were primitive facilities that would not be tolerated in any other industry. That has improved a little a little, but add to that the unrelenting and ever-escalating demands put on teachers by society, the government and the layers and layers of bureaucracy, I'm not surprised why so few people are entering and so many are leaving the profession these days. The relatively low status of teachers in our society and lack of respect that engenders from parents and others means that not only is the job harder than ever, but the intangible rewards and job satisfaction just aren't there anymore either. Like many, I've had enough. I'll be getting out in the next couple of years. Life's too short. Bratman says, given the government has tied the hands of the arbitrator with the 2.5% cap, there is no alternative to industrial action. Let's see what HSC markers decide to do. They can stop the concrete pour. Yorick says, having experienced many moments that matter, up to and including students of mine winning international awards, I can tell you that it just isn't enough anymore. There was a time when I could create a great lesson content and have time and energy to spare to put into the extracurricular work that many students, that put many students into the top achievers category globally. That same amount of time all the energy I have is now spent on accommodating the myriad additional re requirements of the job that have accumulated since the last real wage increase alluded to above. The current culture, long hours, high workload, inevitably means students are missing out on their best that their teachers can potentially offer. And it's a damn shame. Lorenzo the Mag says, so teaching should be one of those few professions not rewarding experience but expertise then. How does a teacher gain expertise if not in a classroom? What exactly is an expert teacher? A young achiever suddenly be being an expert teacher? I'd like to see that. Chuck Raffle says, the Department of Education and NISA should spend more time and effort to produce teaching resources and materials that supported the programming that teachers are required to do to produce. 
Instead, they waste their time thinking up ways to increase the teacher's workload with admin tasks such as excessively detailed data collection and reporting, weekly staff development meetings and required professional development courses and organising events at school. Teachers' performance is often rated according to the results of Year 12 students in the HSC and the ranking of the school as a result. Teachers are under pressure to get band six results from their students. This is very unfair to teachers as it doesn't consider among students, some may have disabilities or be disadvantaged at home or may lack motivation. This will impact their results in the HSC and will not be related to the teacher's ability or effort. Most teachers are dedicated to guiding their students to achieve their best according to their potential. Teachers should be appropriately paid for this work. Also, effective teaching involves partnering with parents, but too many parents expect teachers to provide the parental role as well and then blame the teacher when their child develops behaviour problems. Our big rednet says, thank you for highlighting this. We teachers are exhausted. We're tired of politicians continually denigrating what we do while giving themselves massive pay rises. We're sick of donating our time for no reward or recognition. I once calculated all the hours I do outside of the official paid hours, 8.30am to 3.30pm, and the holiday period, does not even come close to covering it. Teacher morale is incredibly low. We are seeing so many quality teachers leaving the system because it has become unsustainable. Great temporary teachers cannot get permanency and permanent staff are stuck at one school as transfers are near impossible and merit selection is unbelievably unwieldy and competitive. The entire system has ground to a halt and the department and government are sticking their heads in the sand. We do not strike lightly. Enough is enough. Cassandra too says, right-wing governments do not like teachers at all. So we, can, we can't expect much from this government. In New South Wales, accept more pain for teachers. Who would want to be a teacher in schools nowadays where slave labour is the norm? There are lots of better paying jobs with a lot more freedom and free time. Hopeless is the word for, the, for New South Wales Minister of Education. She has no idea what goes on in schools nowadays. Johnny Red says, a new generation of young adults are just going to say no to teaching. I'm sure all teachers would appreciate substantially more help in the classroom. The employment of teachers at aides, extra clerical and playground rostering. Teachers need a lot more psychological open space. The fight for wages is just a symptom felt throughout the community. We should all be concerned about quality of care for our children and the adults that assist us in that community. It's not just quantity. Kogo44 says, having attended the first teacher strike in 1968 and a number of subsequent actions, you can be assured that there will be a number of free riding teachers who will turn up for work and then have their hand out for any gains won. These scabs will have numerous just justifications for not supporting the strike, but it comes down to a revulsion of losing a day's pay. Cathartic Opinion says, thank you for providing a detailed insight into the responsibilities teachers have and that you've painted a clear picture of how overwhelming it all is. This is why the profession is hemorrhaging teachers and that even the government has projected there will not be enough left to keep schools effective if major changes aren't made. This is why the Gallup inquiry was commissioned. Its findings show the bare minimum the New South Wales government needs to start fixing the issues in staffing spiralling out of control, and yet they still continue to try to deny and deflect. S. Dunn says, my niece is a teacher with three, with three children. She can't afford to buy a house in Sydney, struggles to make ends meet, and her wage is ridiculous, especially given she is often working on administrative tasks till 10pm most weeknights. I support the strike and deplore the obstinacy and intransigence that's brought our teachers to this state. Birdman says, my daughter's wonderful teacher often sends emails or post feedbacks online at 10pm. 
It must be a huge source of frustration for teachers that there are still people who think they work from nine till three. Hill 66 says, security of tenure is also a factor. A growing proportion of teachers are non-permanent. So if you're reapplying for your job every couple of years, you're more likely to look beyond public schools. Dave says, I agree. Very surprised that this wasn't mentioned at all. And I also understand that it's mainly 12-month contracts on offer and very difficult to secure a permanent role. And those are just some of the comments that came through after that discussion. Kafirs are Palestinian scarves and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes kafirs, and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organisations. From the traditional black and white kafir to an array of modern designs, all scarves are just $30 each. Explore the range and order online or drop by 3CR during business hours. Wear your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kafiyas.org.au. That's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Well, you're still listening to The Dogs Program and this uh, program today is mainly about teachers because uh, they have had enough up in New South Wales and I think there's quite a few in Victoria who have had enough too. Uh, thanks is not enough. Uh, they are not being paid enough and they are not having their uh, hard, hard work recognised. In fact, they are being worked far too hard. But um, over the years, we have also pointed out, and certainly in, in the last year, the enrolment figures indicate that there's going to be a dire shortage of teachers all around Australia. And uh, we've been through this before, of course, back in the 60s and 70s, and uh, given the border closures and so on, it's going to be very difficult for Australia to um, bring in teachers from overseas. But um, they have come up with different scholarship programs to get teachers are in those difficult subjects like maths and science. And Oliver is going to tell us about the scholarship program and how it's going in New South Wales. Over to you, Oliver. Thank you, Jean. This is an article by Michael McGowan. <clears throat> scholarship program fails to attract New South Wales teachers as staff prepare to strike the first time in a decade. He writes, a New South Wales government program aimed at convincing professionals to become maths teachers attracted only six people last year, five of whom dropped out before their scholarships were complete. As the state's public school teachers prepare for their first strike in almost a decade on Tuesday, new figures have cast doubt on the success of the government's attempts to address teacher shortages in New South Wales without significantly increasing pay. In 2019, the state government announced the Teach.MathsNow scholarship to lure current undergraduates and industry professionals with a background in pure or applied mathematics to become teachers. But the program has struggled to attract and retain applicants. Despite funding for 160 placements, the program was only offered to 53 people in its first two years. Now, new figures obtained by The Guardian show the program has also failed to keep many of the industry professionals who did apply. According to the government, only six industry professionals were among the intake for the Teach.MathsNow scholarship in 2020. Of those, all but one dropped out of the program, citing a number of reasons, including changes in circumstances during the COVID-19 pandemic, the government said. The government said it had made substantial changes to the program, and in 2021, 13 of the 17 industry professionals who signed up for the scholarship remained. But the struggle to attract and keep teachers through teach.mathsnow underscores a larger problem. Problem: The New South Wales Department of Education has warned that a significant shortage of teachers, particularly in subjects such as maths and science, is affecting the quality of students' learning. But the state government has rejected the claim of the teachers' union that inadequate salaries are leading to declining enrolments in education degrees and an increase in the number of teachers leaving the profession. That set the stage for the first teacher's strike in almost a decade on Tuesday. 
Staff will defy an order from the Industrial Relations Commission and walk off the job as part of a campaign to see wages increase by 5%, with an extra 2.5% to recognize experience. The government has offered a 2.5% pay increase in line with its long-standing cap on wages for public servants and has rejected the argument that, that the department staff issues are related to pay. The Education Minister, Sarah Mitchell, said it's unfortunate but not surprising the New South Wales Teachers Federation continues to attack a staffing strategy informed by credible research which seeks to build a sustainable pipeline of quality teachers through various initiatives including increasing pay and financial incentives. At no point has the Federation engaged in any proactive conversations on how to improve staffing in hard to staff regional areas, arguing that the only way to attract more people to teaching is a pay increase willfully ignores the complexities of the modern profession and genuine independent research on the issue. As the wages dispute with the union escalated, the government last month released a 125 million teacher supply strategy as part of its bid to tackle the problem without lifting wages above the 2.5% cap. But Labor has attacked the plan for its vagueness. The funding includes, among other things, a $5 million marketing strategy to attract teachers and a plan to poach 500 science, technology, engineering, and maths teachers from other states and jurisdictions. The only other people state, that will benefit from that will be the advertising agents. Really yeah, and it's also that. very similar to what they're doing in America in the charter school districts as yeah. well. Yeah, it's called poaching. Yeah. Oh, because they're not prepared to spend the money on actually uh, producing the teachers and paying them. Short-sighted. Other states, such as Western Australia, recently announced their own plans to poach teachers from New South Wales. Labor has <laughs> seized on responses provided by the government to supplementary budget estimates questions, which show half of the 125 million is yet to be allocated. According to the government, about 63 million of the fund is still being refined as initiatives are scoped and implemented. The responses also show the government's plan to poach STEM teachers was based in part on anecdotal evidence that teachers from interstate and overseas were interested in returning home to New South Wales, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic. Labor's shadow education minister, Prue Carr, has been critical of the government's attempts to address staffing issues, saying teacher shortages were a significant problem in New South Wales schools. Half of the promised funds to address teacher supply issues are unallocated and the government scholarships are failing to attract the STEM teachers NSW needs, she said. The NSW government needs to acknowledge the severity of the teacher shortages New South Wales faces and provide the investment needed to get this fixed. Mitchell said the full funding for the strategy had been allocated over the next four years and that further details on the initiatives will be released as they are rolled out. Now we'll have a bit of a break and we'll get back to... Jeff discussing the American situation in Missouri. Looking for an easy way to keep up with your annual 3CR subscription? You can now set up an annual debit from your bank account or credit card, and once a year your payment will be automatically deducted. You can cancel at any time and you'll get a reminder each year before payment. Be a constant supporter of Melbourne's precious independent community radio station and set up a recurring payment today. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Well, you're listening to 3CR 855 on the AM dial and if you've just tuned in, this is the DOGS program, the Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools. And uh, we're going to turn to Jeff now, who is our American expert. In fact, um, he's, <laughs> even, he's even got a, a flag behind him as he speaks to you, and uh, it also That's looks right. as if he's sitting in the White House. Yeah, I'm in the Oval Office, Jean, as you know. They, they always make room for me this time of year. <laughs> right, yes. Well, uh, it's not Planet America quite, but we're getting close to it because Jeff is going to tell us about the American situation for public education in Missouri. Oh, this is... Over this to is, you, Jeff. Thanks, Jean. Look, this, is, this is an amazing situation. There, I can see us, like, 
10 years or five years behind the Americans on this. They're leading the way into a cultural doom. But this article is from Diane Rivers, uh, Silver's Ravage. Now, she's, uh, for those who don't know, she's a wonderful historian of education from America. She's educated at Columbia University and spent many, many years as a teacher there. And she's written over 15 books on education. She's a powerful advocate for public education in America. And she's been watching over long time, the long term uh, the creep of privatisation of the American public system. So she runs a very good blog just called Diana Ravitch's blog. And this is from that. It's called Missouri Parent to Legislature. Don't defund our rural schools with charters and vouchers. Now, um, the Network for Public Education created a website, she says, where parents could express their views about their schools. This post on Diane's uh, blog was written by Jessica Piper, who's just a mum and a farmer in rural Missouri, or as they say, Missouri. She writes, I am a rural woman. I'm a subsistence farmer raising hogs and chickens in northwest Missouri in a town of 480 people. I live in a century-old farmhouse on a few acres on an Iowa border that we purchased for less than the price of a new car. I was also an American literature teacher for 16 years, and my children are all products of rural schools. Our youngest is still in school, and her class, the entire fourth grade, consists of 16 children. Public schools are the heart of rural Missouri. The school bus picks up my daughter at the end of the driveway every morning, avoiding the chickens pecking in the gravel. She arrives at a tiny school that supports her and knows her well. She eats in the cafeteria that also serves as a gym. We mark the cafeteria Thanksgiving meal on our calendars to eat lunch with our kids. The turkey is pretty good, but we really come for the annual tradition and because our kids expect us. Entire communities gather for Christmas pageants and a band and choir concerts in our rural schools. We attend Friday night football and basketball games and reserve the rest of the evenings for softball or baseball. We know the teachers and we support schools with raffles and by buying apples and beef jerky from the yearly FFA sales. Nearly every event in our small community revolves around our school. I tell you the story of rural schools because we are in a fight to keep our public schools funded and open in Missouri. In my state, we are 49th in funding for public schools. We don't provide public schools with enough for the basics. The state funds just 32% of school budgets, which means that the residents pay for the bulk of their local school expenses and through property taxes. That means that our system is highly inequitable. The defunding of Missouri public schools has happened over the last decade, but has been on warp speed in the last five years. The school funding formula was adjusted to lower the amount a few years back, meaning we lowered the funding bar to be able to claim we met the bar. And now even more bad news for Missouri rural, rural schools, a voucher scheme. In, two, in 2021, Missouri Republicans devised and signed into law a system for vouchers that will further defund public schools. This is how it works. Missouri taxpayers can receive a dollar for dollar for tax credit that will pay for private school vouchers. In essence, public tax funds will be diverted to private or religious schools with no oversight or account accountability for student performance. Missouri will allow folks to essentially pay their taxes directly to the private school of their choice, defunding public schools in the process. In rural Missouri, our schools are already strapped for resources. Diverting money away to any fly-by-night charter or private school that accepts vouchers will devastate our rural schools. When schools are defunded, the next move is often consolidation. When a school consolidates, students may be travelling to and from school for over an hour a day. School consolidations also ravage small communities and often cause ripples that can be felt for years. In my town, the school is the largest employer. Community members who work for the school district receive health insurance through their employer, while disadvantaged children are fed through the school year from the school free lunch program. School closures cripple small businesses and decrease property values. Our main streets empty out with the loss of a local school. When schools consolidate, rural communities lose their economic epicenter. 
we must fully fund public schools in an equitable way for all children to have the opportunity that a public education promises. Rural students and our small communities count on public schools. Charter and privatisation schemes purposefully funnel public tax money into private hands. That's harmful to rural Missouri public schools and to our kids. Now, the lady who wrote that, Jessica Piper, is a candidate for state representative in a rural northwest, in rural northwest Missouri. She received, received a BA in English and MA from the University of Arkansas in Monticello. She was a tenured American literature teacher and frequently writes about rural schools and school funding. She lives in the Missouri-Iowa border with a husband, children, and two dogs. Piper is a farmer who raises hogs and chickens. And this is just a case where there's, there are implications beyond what, what seems to be a policy change, just of, of alternative funding. They're actually changing the shape of towns. Towns can be destroyed when something as critical as a public school is closed um, uh, by grouping together public schools into hinterland communities. All the small towns evaporate because people don't want their kids to have to drive an hour to get to school and they don't want to have to drive an hour to pick them up. We um, saw this in the 1990s with the Kennet, when the Kennet, with the Kennet closures around totally. the system. Yeah. We did. We, we lost uh, government schools everywhere. Now they're having to rebuild them at a huge cost. Um, madness. Uh, that madness. was madness. These are long-term structural changes that just don't seem to have any any plan, any long-term planning beyond can I sell this property and make a few bucks for my property investor mates? Well, we can learn. We can learn from the Americans how they're fighting back, um, and the dogs, of course, have been fighting back since the 1960s. Mm. Thank you so much uh, for, for filling us in on that, um, Jeff. It's great to hear that the people are fighting and they are aware of the problem in America, but. Um, we now can go to uh, one of our regional rural schools, a very, very special school in our great state school. Every week on the Doctor Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. And our great state school for the week is Warrigal Regional College. Congratulations, Warrigal Regional College. You are our great state school. Warrigal Regional College is a co-ed secondary school serving years 7 to 12. And the uniform is compulsory and enforced, which is a contentious topic, in my opinion. Uh, Warrigal Regional College is located in Victoria in the Gippsland region, and it is one of 131 government schools in the Warrigal area. There is 764 students enrolled at this school, and it offers VCAL and it also offers VET programs. Um, they teach Indonesian and Japanese, and there are 22 VET programs available, 101 VET students, and like I said before, VCAL is available, so they do cater for every child in every way that they need to learn. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about how they performed in year 12. 95% uh, of the students enrolled completed satisfactorily their VCE and 70% satisfactory completed VET programs. Um, the principal is Nicole Pryor, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about their statistics. So and also I think you'll find that 42% of them went to university, which is extraordinary, and 15% went to TAFE. Mm -hmm. That's very true. Went to the apprentice trainees thing, mm -hmm. and twenty nine percent were employed. That's pretty fantastic, isn't it? I think it's pretty good for a regional school, honestly. And they've got an awful lot of extra activities, extra sixty activities. They um, do eleven music programs, thirty one sports programs, 
and they've got support staff of about 59. So that's the woos are. That's, that's pretty, pretty, uh, very interesting. It is very interesting. They have, they have a lot of, seems like um, passion and goal for their students. They want to make sure that their students are supported in every way that they could possibly be supported for every interest that each individual student has. No? I think you'll also find that there's a boarding facility and uh, international students are enrolled in the school as well. Over to um, the ACARA My School website. Yeah, absolutely. So the Ixia value is below average at 975. So 5% are from the upper quartile, 18% are from the second highest quartile, uh, 34% are from the third quartile and 43% are in the lowest quartile. So really it's a school with many disadvantaged students with 4% speaking a language other than English and 3% are Indigenous students. I'm going to tell you about their finances. The Australian government provides $2.2 million annually. The Victorian government provides $8.7 million annually and the fees and parental contributions consist of $519,000. Other private contributions are $521,000 per year and approximately per pupil it's $15,000 to $16,000 per pupil. Um, It's a bargain. It is, it is. So... um, NAPLAN, NAPLAN results, everything is average and actually writing is above average. So Warrigal Regional College, you are doing very well for the resources you're you're being given and I applaud you and we appreciate everything that your teachers and students are doing to further the passion of state education. Well, that's it for today at Adults Program. Our time has run out and. All we can really do now is to remind you to go to our website if you want to find out more about us at www.adogs.info. But from Dale and Maddie and Oliver and Jeff, it's bye for now.
I never died, says he.